Hey, hi, hello, y'all. This is RB, your Midwestigative reporter, bringing you another episode of Take the Last Bite, a show where we knock on Midwest Nice's cabin door and the four horsemen of the apocalypse try to convince it to sacrifice a family member in order to save the world. On today's episode, I'm joined by a few folks from the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity volunteer staff to nerd out about the most memorable and queer-as-fuck things we've watched lately. But before we delve into the fantastical land of drag queens playing D&D or skin-stealing demons, I want to quickly revisit episode 7 of this season, The Anatomy of a Liberatory Think Tank, by extending that concept and thinking about what is the anatomy of a safe space? I know, I know, the phrase safe space is a touchy one, and the evolution of this phrasing has both been re-envisioned by those who need it and co-opted by those who wish to antagonize us for desiring safe spaces, even though they tend to be the poster children for needing their own safe spaces. Anyway. Can spaces be 100% safe for all people at all times? Certainly not. Can we set our sights on the safest ways to share and host space with all people in mind at all times? We sure can. At the time of recording today's episode and intro, myself and my five co-conspirators from the Institute are freshly back at our respective homes in Michigan, Illinois, and Minnesota after an extended weekend at Campit Outdoor Resort, an LGBTQ-centered campground in Saugatuck, Michigan. This is our third year getting together at Campit for a staff retreat to hang out and do a little bit of business as we continue to build and scheme around our big ideas for the Institute and our signature program, Mumble Talk. Being an LGBTQ-centered space, as many of us know, is not the sole ingredient for a safer space. It lays some foundation for what can be expected, though, and what we've found in our three years convening each summer is that... The more LGBTQ spaces lean into being queer spaces, and not simply gay and lesbian spaces, it impacts the ways folks can move and express themselves in that environment, ultimately for the better. It can look like shoving upwards of 10 deep-fried Oreos in your mouth on a tour de campsite, because who's counting? It can look like knowing if you get a little stumbly after that last cider, that your friends will set you up with some water and make sure you get to a bed. It can look like a county fair-themed drag show featuring a fortune teller, a trapeze act on gravel, and a nearly nude hula hooper burlesque act by a queer and disabled adult entertainer. It can look like an in-depth conversation where multiple people who were raised by narcissistic maternal birth givers can unlock some of the nested trauma in our bodies and minds by realizing the bizarre and heinous things we experienced as youth had nothing to do with us. It can look like late-night clothing-optional swims in a heated pool or a majestic container of nachos from the on-site food truck. I promise this is not a sponsored ad for Camp at Outdoor Resort, but this is a strong case study for examining our spaces and asking in what ways folks feel freer, less scrutinized, 
more open and less judged for doing what they want and being who they are. The goal is not perfection, it is possibilities. Our team came out of our time together feeling renewed in our sense of purpose and our organizational aspirations. We also departed our weekend together having practiced what I believe are baseline components of a co-created safe space, such as ensuring everyone's basic needs are met by asking outright, ensuring there was a meal plan, caffeine and water was fully stocked, having priority items we wanted to discuss but not being beholden to any itinerary or agenda. Our time was flexible, giving ourselves permission to be the silliest of gooses, practicing spatial and situational awareness to the levels our various neurodivergences would allow Placing our pleasure, interests, desires, and wants on a similar level as our needs, and addressing and avoiding behaviors that don't align with our personal needs or a sense of personal safety. We cannot do the work of creating large-scale social change without examining our micro-localized spaces and examining what it is that draws us to and keeps us in them and adapting those elements into other areas of our lives and our movements. To quote, emergent strategy, because of course, small is good, small is all. The large is a reflection of the small. Today's chat is a big ol' nerd fest with two of the folks who made this weekend-long retreat possible. Andy, our director of tech, and Michelle, our director of operations, humored me when I sent a text saying, hey, remember that conversation y'all had at Campit about all the animation and TV shows y'all are raving about right now? Can we record it? And here we are, fam. We chat about the wrap-up of The Owl House, the hits and misses of Avatar The Last Airbender, and we wrap up with a quick round of Smash or Pass Streaming Edition. Don't hog the remote on this episode of Take the Last Bite. Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? When it comes to dynamics around privilege and oppression and around identity, well-intentioned isn't actually good enough. And how far is too far to drive for a drag show? I don't know, we're in Duluth right now. I would straight up go to Nebraska, probably. <laughs> if you are not vibing or something's not right, or also like there's an irreparable rupture, you have absolutely every right to walk away. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice, and if that's if that's um, as real as it wants to think it is. Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, fam. So once upon a time, Andy and I did a small bite segment in December of 2021. So quite a while ago, slash pretty early in the. Um, lifespan of Take the Last Bite, and we talked about queer animation for a small bite segment. Um, and just this past weekend, we hung out um, all together in person as we do once a summer. And uh, I realized that we had gone far too long without revisiting the animation conversation and that Michelle would be an incredible add-on to this nerd fest that is uh, talking about some of the um, biggest uh memorable moments in queer animation and queer television um and queer streaming so that is why we're here uh to basically rehash um and talk about what has transpired since um that segment which i encourage folks to check out on um, that small bite episode from december 2021 
Um, let's start with a round of introductions. <laughs> Who are y'all? What are you up to? And let's just kind of kick things right off with you starting us with one of the most memorable things you've watched or seen on the interwebs um, in the past handful of months. I'm Andy. I use they, them pronouns. Um, the most th- most interesting thing I've watched in the last few months would definitely have to be Owl House. That wrapping up was fantastic and is probably one of my favorite animation TV shows of all time. Up there with Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Michelle. I use she and they pronouns. Um, and ooh, big plus one to Owl House and to Avatar The Last Airbender. Excellent choices. Um, and then I would say something I have been watching that I'd be excited to tuck into today is uh, Dimension 20's Dungeons and Drag Queens. Um, animated, but very nerdy um, and very gay. Um, I am mostly here for emotional support for this conversation because I have seen next to none of all of these things, though I regularly get nudged and encouraged and low-key harassed by these two to watch these things but uh i just it's i don't know i don't watch the same tv as you two do and that's why we're here so we could pick at any of these little tendrils you'd like i have seen at least a clip of the dungeons of drag queens so um i'm familiar with that i've seen probably the first season of owl house so i'm like loosely aware of those two so we could start there and then i know there's some other ones um that we could talk about just as far as cool things you've watched or um i'm also interested in getting into some of the like behind the scenes just kind of like drama slash emergence (laughs) of some things that have gone on in like queer animation land on the back end um and see where that takes us so Whoever wants to start, just to give your big, gushing, nerdy spout of either Owl House or Dungeons and Drag Queens, we can start there. Okay, so Owl House just wrapped up. I mean, not just. It was last spring, it feels like. But season three uh, came out um, in... The first episode was a Halloween episode, so, like, come on, how queer is a halloween episode uh one of the last like finale extended episodes then there was one in uh early january and then another one in march and it was all very good all very cute we have our first on-screen tv girl on girl kiss in like disney animation land um and Despite the production issues and Disney saying, no, we don't think this content is what our audience wants, despite it being exactly what their audience wants, we're going to make it not a full third season, just three episodes. Um, But despite all of those hardships, Dana Terrace and the team did a phenomenal job wrapping up all of the stories, doing justice to the characters, and wrapping up what I believe to be a new classic in Disney animation TV. I agree. I was like really surprised. Well, one, it is absolutely going to be a classic. It's great. But I was very surprised that it was on Disney, um, given some of the, you know, things that Disney has done in the past. Um, You know, thinking about like 
uh, for example, like all of the Bi Erasure and all the Marvel productions, for example, um, and keeping that very limited for their audiences. Um, so really pleasantly surprised that this was Disney content. I think it was also interesting that Disney says Disney Channel is for 6 to 11. And, but most of the kids that are on Disney shows are like eighth grade or high school. Like Hannah Montana was in high school, all of Hannah Montana, like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I feel like they're in late junior high, early high school. So all of the characters are high school level kids. You've got High School Musical, too, and all that junk. But yet this show, where the protagonist is 13, 14, freshman in high school, and is queer, is now suddenly, it's it's too much. It's too mature. It's not for the kids anymore. And it's... I mean, not anything new. Queerness in general is has been adultized. It's not for children, even though it's just love and sharing love. And come on, let kids be kids and enjoy, you know, holding hands with another cute human for the first time. Yeah, I would say the only reason not for little kids to watch it is it's just a little scary sometimes um for kids (laughs) um but the you know it's wholesome like the relationships are so wholesome and like supportive um the message is so wholesome um so just like some of the action sequences maybe i'd stick the 11 year old range instead of the six you know (laughs) yeah and then my like pushback on that is you also have gravity falls which is incredibly spooky and kind of weird and creepy Granted, in the pilot episode, nobody says, give me your skin, as they do in Owl House. But it's a cute little fairy saying it, so who who the heck cares? But, like, you can't look at all of Disney's stuff and not say there isn't other spooky stuff. Oh. Like, Halloween Town isn't really spooky in any way, shape, or form, but if you don't like spooky stuff... There is a ton of Disney content that is spooky in some way, shape, or form. Also, I just have specific trauma about the brave little toaster. (laughs) I gotta warn, I gotta warn the folks about these scary (laughs) curtains. That movie's terrifying. Not. I love that movie. I am the blanket. Anyway, Uh, they're all getting like chopped up in a machine parts thing. Okay, but have you seen Toy Story three? The literally same. I cried a lot. I cried a lot during Toy Story three. One thing Disney is infamous for is trauma. So, like, really, the spooky shit is nothing compared to, hello, Bambi. (laughs) We've been, they they have mastered the art of, like, subtle trauma with no content warnings. I also think the last time I was on, I I don't think Luca or uh, Turning Red were out yet. Or Strange World. Oh, well, no, I don't think so. Which are all, uh, Luca and Turning Around are both Pixar movies, and Strange World is a uh, Disney animation uh, feature-length film, which, again, 
stars a high school age kid but of course that movie got terrible reviews because a the kid is black and queer and has a crush on a boy and so that movie got terrible reviews because it's a disney movie about an adult and like it's still a 16 year old kid you just think he's an adult because he's black i still haven't seen that one and i i remember talking to you though before it was actually released talking about how like little promotion that one was getting compared to other like signature pixar pixar movies right like Mm -hmm. did not get the same airtime did not get a lot of real estate in like all the places you would expect to see it was a very quiet promotion and i think yes that was by i would assume that is somewhat by design I do think Pixar has gotten the raw end of the deal lately with promotion of their films. Um, But Strange World isn't a Pixar movie. It's a Disney movie, but that's semantics. But regardless, as a Disney movie, it did not get nearly as much airtime or commercial representation as The Little Mermaid did. And The Little Mermaid is an excellent movie and it's really cute. But I think there's this troubling trend where big corporations won't take chances on new content and would rather stick with the Marvels or doing a remake of Little Mermaid or a remake of a remake. I heard they were going to do an animated remake of a live action remake of a animated show. Yeah, I think that was... Brain. I don't like that. I know. I don't know if that's actually real or not, or just Twitter ramblings, but like that's the direction that it's inevitably going to be, where it's, we're just going to do remakes because we know Lion King is popular. We know Little Mermaid is popular. So rather than take a chance on generational trauma, which they have done multiple times in the last year or two, but... Don't make me talk about Encanto. I can't get through the conversation. (laughs) Yeah. It was a very, very good movie. Not queer, really. Well, I feel like... Maybe a little. little But it's, it's... yeah, it's queer coded characters because that's what most animators at Disney can get away with. Mm-hmm. Where like Luca, the animators came out or the showrunner or not showrunners because it's a movie, but whatever that term is, they they came out and they're like, yeah, we wanted one of these characters to have a girlfriend, and because we saw this character as queer, but then also realized that the girlfriend didn't actually add anything to the story that we were trying to tell, so we removed that character. Mm-hmm. But also, the main characters in Luca, Luca and Alberto, are totally crushing on each other the whole time. And it's so adorable and sweet. And any queer person going to the movies to see that film, even though it was released on Disney+, Plus, um, sees that as a budding childhood crush. But straights are like, oh, they're just friends. And they were roommates. Uh, thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've also watched a little bit of Vox Machina, 
which is a D20 or a dragon, Dungeons and Dragons it's show. Critical Role. Critical Role. Yeah. Show that one's off of. Yeah. And I know there's complexities in that whole realm, but tell us about the drag Dungeons and Dragons show. Yes. So you can tell that Andy maybe does not watch these. Um <laughs> I watch Vox Machina because it's animated, but I'm not a big drag show human. But if you make a compelling argument. Um, I was quick to correct you because the nerds on the internet are mean. Um, <laughs> if you give you some tweets later. Um, some exes, if you will. Uh, yeah, zeets. I think that's what we're calling them that. I think. Stop. Okay. Stop. <laughs> so, yes, Vox Machina. It, so my my spouse loves Vox Machina because um, he's a really really big Critical Role fan, which is is very good. But I will say I I'm an ADHDer. Um, too much six hour episodes. Um, they're very serious. Well, they they have funny stuff, but they're very serious a lot of the time too. I like Dimension Twenty as a program. This is a different streaming um dungeons and dragons show because they are all previous college humor cast members so they're all professional improvers comedy improvers whereas critical role is all um professional voice actors which is um probably something you would really enjoy about it andy because there are a lot of cartoon folks in there but so and a lot of them voice the characters in the animated show yes exactly they play their own characters they like took their live role play and then animated it so that's pretty cool so dimension 20 released a mini series so each season's like a different dungeons and dragons campaign so there'll be a different cast different story um so they released a four series arc or four episode arc um called dungeons and drag queens um game master is brennan lee mulligan who is consistently in a lot of these and is like kind of the mainstay person and then it's got Bob the Drag Queen, Monet Exchange, Juju B, and Alaska as um, players. And they have like varying experience amongst them. Um, but all of them, um, we know from watching the show uh, from Drag Race, is, are excellent improvers themselves. Um, so it's just been really, really cool to see. And I, what I really like is um, how inclusive the programming is on dimension 20 um like this isn't their first time like oh we needed to do something for pride month let's get some of those rupaul girls like that's not what happened the main cast on dimension 20 has a lot of queer folks they are one of the um main dnd spaces to really make sure they're including diverse racial perspectives like they have black dungeon masters they ha you know that are amazing and you just don't see that in a lot of nerd spaces there's a lot of gatekeeping that happens in the community um so i just love it there's not binary folks that are consistently on there so um mm -hmm. really appreciative of what they do that sounds cool i've been listening to the transplaner rpg and that's cute and i but i the episodes do get a little long, and I am like, okay, can we wrap it up? And even those are, like, cut up from their YouTube stream. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this, I enjoy all these characters. I enjoy what's happening here. And I would like 
to be able to wrap up in the amount of time it takes me to do the dishes and around the house cleaning. It shouldn't take me three days to get through this. Or I would prefer it to not take me three days to get through it, I should say, rather than I shouldn't. Because some people really like that. And it's just not me. Because also ADHD. So. Absolutely. Yeah, Dimension 20 is only like two hours an episode instead of four. Sure. Two hours out. I really know. I know. What I want. I'm so used to like 30-minute kids shows. <laughs> We're like, we've been watching... I just rewatched um, Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, and then I'm now rewatching The Legend of Korra, and which is such a different vibe from the original Avatar The Last Airbender. And then I also recently read the Kyoshi books, which turns out Avatar Kyoshi's queer and has a Fire Nation girlfriend that she's crushed on her entire life which is also hilarious, and the parents are actually pretty good about it, So, which is adorable. Um, but there's so much new Avatar content coming out or will be coming out from either Nickelodeon or Netflix that I'm excited to see if they actually do queer stuff on TV. Instead of just teasing it like they did for Legend of Korra in the last 30 seconds of the entire show. Yes. I'm also because everybody was like, you need to watch Legend of Korra. It's so queer. It's so queer. It's so queer. And then I watched it. And I'm like, y'all, the last 30 seconds. I was going to say, I didn't even watch it. But isn't it just the little blip at the end? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They like are about to kiss or they barely kiss. And it's some folks are like, oh, they're just friends. And it's like. Can y'all just be nice and let us have this one? No, sorry. Not allowed. My sister keeps telling me to watch Heartstopper. I've seen and heard a lot of things about that one, but I have not engaged either. I have watched one episode and I was like, nope, 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 nope. I can understand why this is an enjoyable show for folks. And also, I do not need to relive coming out in high school. Womp womp. Isn't it based off of a graphic novel series, too? I believe so. That sounds right. But it was cringy in the way that high school, like, dramas are cringy. And apparently the second season is a lot more, like, heartwarming and does a lot of... uh, promotion for queer fiction books there's like a whole like playlist i guess or list of all of these like 10 15 different books that are promoted in the show that are from queer authors and are queer stories which is very cute there's also like trans representation in the show which feels or felt to me only watching the first episode to be, oh, this is just the box we're ticking rather than a real trans character. I don't know. I guess Owl House spoiled me where the trans character was trans and was just trans and it wasn't the plot. Mm-hmm. The the trans character had their own plot and not just like the fact that they were trans was their character's story arc. Yeah, we're over that. I'm a little, yeah, or I, I'm over the, like, 
the character being queer is their entire purpose for existing as a character. Mm-hmm. And it feel like Heartstopper felt to me like the whole reason for the story was coming out and it felt a lot like Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Love, Simon was a enjoyable 90 minute movie. I do not want to watch 10 episodes of this, which is also why I never watched Love, Victor. Mm-hmm. I have to yell something about Love, Simon. Yeah. The, the time I watched it, I was on an international flight. So plane full of people. It's like one of those ones where it has like the big long row, row in the middle of the plane. And I'm just watching Love, Simon with my friend who's sitting next to me who's also watching it at relatively the same part. And we both look over each other and are just sobbing on this, sobbing on an airplane. And I'm like, we are unhinged. (laughs) It is really interesting to me where some folks will watch a movie and think, or a TV show, and be like, I really didn't enjoy this queer content because it was a little too close to home for me. But then other folks will watch the same content and be like, ooh, yay, representation. And I'm like, yes. And I, we watched the, I mean, this was years ago. I don't remember when it came out or if we talked about it the last time, but Happiest Season with Kristen Stewart. And she was totally supposed to end up with Aubrey Plaza, not the shitty girlfriend who wants to keep her in the closet the whole time she brings her home, but they end up together. And I'm like, what kind of message is that telling folks that like you should end up in the shitty relationship and stay with the person who's like actively harming you? Like, what kind Clearly of message is that? <laughs> I'll probably this for a couple of years. Yeah, yes. holiday movie. That's true. That's true. I will never let that one go because it keeps coming up in like oh on like tiktok or instagram of like ooh, these are sapphic movies you should watch and like no this one's trash yeah to your point i really prefer shows and stories where their queerness is just there and it's not this like big plot point or like their their main story arch like our flag means death's a really good example of that like vico ortiz's character coming out as non-binary and everybody's like oh okay then like moving on um, like love that and I think that's one of the things to bring it back to our Dungeons and Dragons uh, one of the things that I think queer folks really like about D&D because um, we did get three separate proposals for Dungeons and Dragons workshops at Emble Tech this year yeah. um, so queer folks like it for sure um, is you are making up the story and so there doesn't have to be homophobia or transphobia in this world yeah they your character could be whatever you want your character to be. Um, and to venture off of um, movies and shows for a second, um, Baldur's Gate 3 is a video game. coming. It's out on computer now um, for PC gamers, but it's coming out on like PlayStation in a couple weeks here. It's a Dungeons & Dragons-based video game. Ooh. Um, it is sexually explicit. I'll put that note in there. Um, but you can literally customize every piece of your character's body including genitalia um i saw that and there are many options and you can combine and do whatever you want to do and your character could be just exactly like you i've seen it's got really good um it's got good hair options for folks like it's like 
really customizable and inclusive. So I'm like looking... good textured options. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I guess my rambling point though is, um, yeah, fantasy, whether it's fan fiction or Dungeons and Dragons or whatever you want to do, is a safe space for queer and trans folks to play around with their gender and their identity. Did y'all watch Wednesday? Yeah, love. I love how even the cast of that show is like Wednesday and Enid are Endgame. Even though nobody, like the writers haven't even written the second season yet because <laughs> they can't. Um, and rightfully, they should not be writing it um, because of the strike. But I think it's interesting that even the male characters, like everybody on that show is like, yes, Enid and Wednesday makes so much sense. It's I, I think what's interesting is that when I think about Wednesday Adams as a character, yes, there's this secondary like key character that we could ship. And also there's some ace coding to Wednesday that I just feel like mm-hmm. is not allowed to happen because of just a litany of ace erasures. So like I would be curious yes. if they kind of like force feed a ship moment into that or if they kind of let that be a thing where Wednesday is just this independent self-sufficient, yeah. you know, like that. Mm-hmm. If the fandom steered it in that direction, if the writers, once they are, you know, back in action, would give concessions to that being a possibility. And I think, too, this is worth also naming, like, the writer's strike where there's this, it's been like over 100 days now of writers mm-hmm. striking um, because of improper working conditions and payments, specifically for the folks who write the content for a majority of the shows, if not all the shows that we're talking about are not getting um, their dues and a variety of other types of roles. But I think it's been colloquially referred to as a writer's strike because that's the the crux of kind of who's demanding certain conditions and just how much I think that what is maybe less spoken as there's been this kind of generalization of what is this writer's strike about? What are the generalist demands? What are the expectations for the general public to not inadvertently cross this picket line? Um is like part and parcel, I think, of the conditions that are being talked about are the limitations on folks to write representative stories um, and how those are valued. So I think those are like intricately tied conversations that there's reasons we gravitate towards these shows and what is also common amongst, especially with Owl House, for example, right? I remember us be hanging out this past weekend in person and you naming that like you, Andy, you generally believe that Disney has come to the conclusion that they know they fucked up, but maybe wouldn't ultimately announce that, but that at this point, to reverse what has been a really bumpy ride for Outhouse's three seasons to show up on a streaming platform like Disney Plus with its family, wholesome image, blah, 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 blah. Um, Which they've totally it would be too late. Right, but it, yeah, it ultimately it would be too late to kind of claim it as its, its claim to fame. It did, yeah, Disney didn't think, do that. It just kind of like, I mean, you can watch. Could. You can watch Owl House on Disney Plus, but I don't. In I don't see them, at least not for another fifteen years, doing a reboot or a an extended anything. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because the creator is left. Granted, it's not her intellectual property. It's Disney's intellectual property. 
But I also have a feeling that the Owl House fandom won't sign on to anything that Dana isn't a part of. Right. Just because, like, yeah, it's not technically her IP anymore, but, like, it is still her baby. But I think, like, Disney is seeing the economics of how much money people are spending on Etsy or on, like, fan fan shops to buy Owl House merch or how popular Owl House-related things are at, like, conventions and being like, oh... Maybe this was actually popular. Yeah, I think it'll be similar to Avatar The Last Airbender, where later they're going to be like, oh, shit, people really like this, and it's got, like, a cult mm-hmm. bomb. I mean, if you, like, we can go back to Avatar, where, like, Korra, Nickelodeon gave Korra one season. And then they were like, oh, this is actually doing okay. Here, have another two seasons. And then, okay, the writers, you know, wrapped up season one. Then they had an arc for two and three and then they were like oh yeah yeah, you get another and it's just like here you get another you get another but it doesn't allow for a cohesive storytelling process so Mm -hmm. legend of Korra ends up feeling incredibly disjointed for season one two and three and then four so when avatar like came back on netflix and then it was super popular and netflix bought the rights and then nickelodeon was like oh we effed up and whatever happened between Netflix and the creators of Avatar happened and now they're back at Nickelodeon making their own content again so it's very interesting that we will have like two paths of new Avatar content Um, and I'm also very curious to see if folks latch on to the Netflix live action or kind of are like, oh, well, the creators aren't involved anymore, so we don't really care. And it might end up like, I think there is this low-key worry that the Netflix stuff is going to end up like the M. Night Shyamalan one, yes. which is, RB is looking confused. There was a live action Avatar The Last Airbender. Not the blue people from Disney. Like, there is a live action and Avatar one did it. Yes. And, it, and it's the it's horrible. It sounds like a fever dream that I don't need to be a part of. Um the only Asian casting is like for Aang and Zuko and Iroh. But like Katara and Sokka are both white. Um did you see Twilight? The Jasper from Twilight is Sokka. <laughs> and, it's just all around it. um the script was terrible the effects were terrible it is just it i i i sat down ash my spouse to watch it and they after 10 minutes were like never again i'm done i cannot do this for an hour and a half it was so bad and i remember sitting in the theater just fuming because it was so bad and i was so excited for it 
when it came out in, oh, I have to look it up now. I think a, a point that I think is worth emphasizing that you mentioned kind of in talking about like how things with Avatar kind of branched off into other places or how I like Outhouse kind of like stumbled off through like, will there be another season or not? Is just how, what is the propensity of like shows with any form of quote unquote representation and how much their storyboard can get interrupted by this lingering, looming question of like, will there be another season? And I think, I think when I think about that, I think about how Pose kind of made a swift and relatively smart like exit after a certain number of seasons and didn't draw it out so that it didn't get commandeered or co-opted by like Ryan Murphy is at a place where because of his social like and financial capital and his positionality as a like white gay man in this industry like him and Dustin Lance Black and other like white gay male creators and like directors kind of get to play in ways that multiply marginalized queer and trans folks don't get to. In fact, I've gotten into an argument with Dustin Lance Black on the internet many a year ago about this exact problem. Um, I'll pull those receipts out later. But like, you know, they get to experiment in ways that like other creators don't. Mm -hmm. um, but I think about like, even in the, in that case where like Ryan Murphy had this project that is Pose, the decision to limit it to a certain number of seasons and kind of tie up those storylines so that they served the purpose they needed to serve and didn't potentially encounter like always could have turned into glee in a certain way like if they just kind of kept going like what else could you do with those characters versus right. here's a snapshot of these particular characters lives and we're going to drop in we're going to play this out i think it was three total seasons which isn't really a lot and i feel like i've also seen especially in relation to this writer's strike the conversation around a TV, like a season of streaming television does not look like what it used to. For example, I am rewatching House and 22 episodes in a season is unfounded nowadays. You'll be lucky to get five or six episodes and then you'll have to wait an entire calendar year to get the next. And that's really stressful in a time of like wanting this representation, but only getting it in smaller batches. We don't get the Grey's Anatomy queer-coded, you know, giant mm -hmm. saga series anymore. And that might not be the nature of television anymore, but how do we get a satisfactory, consistent amount of content that doesn't have to be scrutinized, that doesn't have to play this waiting game to continue on to the next season, that's greenlit in an appropriate amount of time, that has spin-offs, that has all these things. Like, I don't really feel like there's a queer empire if you will not that we need an empire because that's really counter uh counter to justice work but like there is not like a hub of all of this representative content right it's kind of patchwork it's here there it's everywhere there's a character that'll pop up in a generally mainstream popular piece of media and then folks kind of want to rely on that and cling to that it doesn't go very far or it's a you know minimally recurring character we're just still perpetuate a place of desire and want and always coming up short on what that content is um, for so many reasons. And I think that's really mm -hmm. frustrating, um, even in, not even, but like, especially in this realm of animation being quote unquote perceived as like a kid's domain but us knowing damn well that that's not true. And I feel like there's one one piece of animation that I can loosely speak to that I know was on Michelle's list of like adult animation um, and Harley Quinn. The show, it's on Max, right? Did I make that up? It's on Max, HBO. 
for, you know, the dead name that is now HBO. <laughs> Everybody's changing their shit. Um, that very much reminds me of like Archer level comedy um, in the way that like it kind of creates a a culture around the language of that show. I would literally have to go back and tell you what even transpired in most of those episodes, but shit's great and is adult comedy and probably needed to be better communicated as such because I just saw it on the homepage and I was like, bet, cool. I thought it was kind of a like reboot or nod spinoff to like the, you know, was probably like 80s or 90s era Batman show that was animated <laughs> that like was still, it was probably on like Saturday or Sunday morning cartoons somewhere in there. But like there was definitely some more adult humor, but it was more coded. This is just straight adult rated R humor. And it doesn't really communicate that on the homepage. And my little nine-year-old niece who's obsessed with Harley Quinn, I'm real glad she didn't have the remote um, the day we discovered <laughs> because that would not be for her. And it's beautiful and amazing. And it's so fucking funny. Um, but also just kind of like got posted in secret. There was no, I have not seen kind of like a social media boom around like, let's, you know, I mean, fanfic did it first. The fandom did it first. We've been shipping Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy for decades. So why was this such a whisper of a thing that I just happened to find on accident on my streaming service? Mm -hmm. I will say the DC animated stuff is really good in general. Um, the DC movies are bleh. I'm mm -hmm. not a fan. The new Flash? Oh, boy. Bleh. Bye. Not watching. Even though it's got Ezra Miller in it. Specifically because it has Ezra <laughs> Miller in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, But their animated stuff is great. Like really complex characters and relationships. Um, I don't know. I'm not ready to call it queer yet. But then there's a new Superman one that just started. It's like in its first season. It's pretty good animation. A good animated show so far. I like in the DC realm, you've got also Marvel and there is a new Disney TV animation that just finished its first season. That is Marvel. It's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And oh my God, it is so cute. It is not, it's not explicitly queer yet, but it is explicitly black and I love it. It's so cute. Um, it's so great to see a multi-generational family um and like not having a parent isn't a part of the storyline and i guess there is uh Lu lunella's best friend casey her parents are two males so like there are queer characters um but it was very cute and very the soundtrack was great. The animation was great. It wasn't kind of, it was, it's got a similar animation style to Into the Spider-Verse or the Spider-Verse kind of ser series, but dulled down for a TV show. Like you can't have that level of animation for a 30 minute kids show, um, but it's still really cute and really good. And the music slaps. And if y'all haven't watched that, you should, um, and yeah, I don't usually love superhero stuff, but Into the Spider-Verse, Black Panther, watching Black Panther with y'all years and years and years ago, 
and then and then yeah now uh moon girl and devil dinosaur like having a little smart girl who makes inventions and accidentally teleports a t-rex from dinosaur ages to now and he's just this giant clifford like t-rex i mean that's right up your alley rb yes it is as you have a jurassic park hat on i do I'm going to be wearing Jurassic Park stuff for like the next couple days until I go to Jurassic Park in concert. That's what I've decided. I have an outfit for each thing. That's probably not true. We'll see. Um, I anticipate we could continue. I, I still maintain that there should be a spin-off of Andy's Animation Corner podcast to allow Andy to talk about all of the nerdy shit that they watch on a regular basis featuring Michelle at this point. Um, but in the interest of time, um, because do I, have a, do I have an educated guest that um, Michelle, are you having people over for D&D this evening, or is that not uh, your your Wednesday night plan? Oh, that actually is usually my Wednesday night plan. I thought I was like, I have However, however, this is regular dinner with friends. Regular dinner. No yeah. dice. No dice to dinner. <laughs> I mean, we could throw some dice around if we want to, but it's not that's part of the true. That's be That'd be funny. Um, I guess uh, my my wonder if if this is the prime way to wrap up in the next couple minutes is just doing like a essentially a round of smash or pass. Um, with you know things that we've we've mentioned a couple of them, but if there's something that you want to like strongly encourage folks go check out of any any timeline, newer or older. Um, so something that is smash worthy in your opinion, and maybe something that's pass worthy in your opinion, or just you, for your purposes, you wouldn't um, recommend, or you just weren't as into um, just to wrap this up. Um, I can start while you two think, because I watch much less and nothing I have is animated, but um, I would actually recommend um, Knock at the Cabin, which is M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, I'm oddly and intricately interested in apocalyptic content um whichever season of american horror story it was where i think it was coven or no it was whatever was after coven because i skipped coven i think it wow this was so simple it's american horror story apocalypse if i would just use my brain um i love apocalyptic shit um in a weird cryptic way like just anyway that's a different story for a different episode um so knock at the cabin woods or knock at the cabin I keep wanting to superimpose Cabin at the Cabin in the Woods, which is a completely different movie. But also, um, exactly, exactly. Cabin in the Woods. But not that the cabin does have a gay couple with an adopted child, and they are the main characters of this show. Um, Rupert Grint is also in it, which was um, interesting. He is not in it for very long, but he, he's in it. Um, and that was M. Night Shyamalan, who I understand is not necessarily a crowd favorite for the purposes of brutalizing avatar the last airbender but in this case um it was it was a pretty interesting film um so i would recommend that one and i had one that would be in the past category i think but now i can't remember so if folks have another one they want to go with right now go for it so smash moon girl and devil dinosaur definite smash i'm still having a oh uh we just finished the latest season of dragon prince on netflix and I really enjoyed the first couple of seasons, but the past two have just been passes and I thought we were done and now there's another season that we have to wait for and watch and I'm just like, I don't even know if I'm going to be interested in it. Like it has to come out because it has to end and it has to wrap up all of these tendrils that they keep drawing out 
but I was really expecting season five to be the last one. And so, yeah, that's a pass. I'm going to say Smash. I'm going to say Steven Universe. Uh, we didn't get to talk about it today. Um, and Andy hasn't watched all of it yet. I think you've watched bits and pieces. You're making a face. It's so good, Andy. Watch it. It's so queer. It's so good. I cannot get over the belly button. I just cannot. <laughs> I just... It's Bitch, so... what? <laughs> It's like a troll doll level situation. It's just a gem. Just think of it as a navel piercing. It's just a gem. I in the can't back. stand those. <laughs> uh, they we're make me fight. sick. Like I All right, like pass I'm on gonna... navel piercings. Uh, <laughs> no, I have one. How dare you? Um, and I'll say pass on the flash because I was so vehement about that earlier. Pass. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I think this is too um late to matter because if folks were going to watch it they've watched it and if they weren't going to watch it they haven't but i think that ultimately i would encourage folks to pass on the ultimatum queer love because it's too much um there's other ways for us to have trashy reality tv and that one was just trashier than trash and survivor survivor this past season had six queer cast members oh good for us one of them won oh don't and it was actually like pretty cute and like a good amount of queer drama that didn't feel like the ultimatum gotcha yeah i was traveling when it made its you know debut on netflix and my partner had already binged like almost all of it so by the time i came home he was on like the last one or two episodes and I so I only got like the tail end of everything and I was like what is happening here uh and everything I've seen on TikTok since then from a handful of the folks on that show just kind of like solidifies my opinions that like no just pass just no I'm gonna offer you a counterpoint for folks that like trash because I fucking love trash is because I watched I watched the original season of the ultimatum and i watched queer love like the queer season of ultimatum yeah and the difference between straight folks and queer folks like it was so much better tv because even when they were dead wrong the queer folks could actually fully articulate their emotions and what they were trying like what's going on for them and a lot of the fine couples on the straight season are just like i'm mad I think that if they're going to do another queer love version, that Karamo from Queer Eye needs to be the host and needs to be placed throughout the experience because there's some folks who are dysregulated that probably could have done without having their shit put on display on public television. And maybe that's my stink with it, right? Like, because it originated as a show for cishet couples, and that got like reoriented and shoehorning queer folks in it, just like it showed. It showed. Anyway, well, you know. Yes, that's, that's... a spin off episode to talk about reality shows. I will be there. Let's go. <laughs> um, friends, this has been pleasant. I um feel like I might be slightly more motivated to watch some things. I'm for sure gonna go rewatch Harley Quinn because I feel like I binged it and need to revisit it to get um all the quote worthy morsels that are in there. But um is there any other items that we didn't talk about that are maybe upcoming, haven't been released yet, that you want to do a quick nod to and do you want to offer any final thoughts before I click this record button off for tonight? No, I'm good. I mean, 
<laughs> Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur Season 2 will be out in yeah. some point soon. Got it. And uh, the new Pixar movie, Wish, comes out in the fall. Um, Harley Quinn, or the newest season is airing now. So actively new episodes get posted there. Um, I only briefly mentioned Our Flags Means Death, but everybody please continue to bother Max until they release season two. It is fully filmed. It is done. We have no release date. Let us have it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's bullshit. I don't understand. No, I do. But that's a whole other podcast about clear the end. I was not ready. Let us have the gay pirates back. <laughs> oh man, or more gay soccer. Uh, ten exactly. And also the World Cup and World oh. Cup two. Drop back. Went to bend it like Beckham. It's called yes. All right. Well, this has been an unhinged mess, exactly as I expected, but this is the conversation that needed to happen, and it will not be another year and a half, almost two years, until we do this again, Andy, I promise. Um, I don't know. Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgbinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, Nick, Danielle, and Michelle for all of your support with editing, promotion, transcripts, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick. <laughs>